Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hi there, my name is Iman Zabi, and I'm the founder of Terrain and the Scribesmith. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, can you tell uh, me about the most exciting thing that you're working on right now? Oh, um, we've got a couple of different things, but I think the most exciting thing that we're working on right now is a, is a fractional revenue model for our online learning ecosystem terrain. Awesome. Can you, for those who might not be so familiar, can you give like a quick, you know, summary of what terrain is, who it's for? Oh yeah, for sure. So Terrain is essentially, it started off as a course platform that hosted only vetted courses. And then it slowly kind of morphed into this learning ecosystem. We have this community built on the metaverse. We have courses coming out. It's a membership. Um, and it's really aimed at teaching people the skills they need to grow online businesses quickly. So every course is like done in an afternoon style. You learn something really quick. You're able to implement build momentum in your business and keep moving forward. And that was really the whole vision behind Terrain. And yeah. That's awesome. What was the inspiration behind why you started Terrain? Ooh, so on the other side of my business, the Scribesmith, we run, um, it's a copywriting agency where we work with course creators. So we were in this interesting space where we were helping people who have courses get out there and market them. But on the other side, I was also building my own team. So we were consuming a lot of courses. So I kind of was in a position where we were seeing both sides of it. Um, and it kind of led to the realization that the most popular courses weren't necessarily the best ones. And then after getting duped over and over and over again by bad courses, we wanted to create something that tackled that problem in a way that just was we wanted to create something that kind of helped people with deep expertise get their courses out into the world without and getting you know fairly compensated for them without having to go out and build this massive audience and become influencers which is you know a whole different skill set altogether and for people who wanted to consume courses we want to wanted to create like a safe vetted space that had high quality content, was designed for course completion and actionability because course completion rates in the rest of the industry are abysmal. It's like one in 10. Um, and just maximize focus, maximize actionability and teach them real skills that they could implement in their business. So Terrain kind of existed as the solution between those two problems. I absolutely love it when I see a fellow founder like kind of solve the problem for themselves and then go out there and build something so much larger that is so much that is so needed in the industry. I can totally relate to taking a course or two that just you think is going to be amazing and ends up being like, what did I just pay for again? Oh, for sure. I remember like distinctly, there was this course I took a couple of years ago. It was about easy three thousand, three and a half thousand dollars And the most valuable thing I got out of that course was the free t-shirt she sent me. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's almost like you said it so well before. It's like the course creators that necessarily have the best courses tend to also have, for whatever reason, like haven't invested as much into building up that audience to be able to get it out there. So a lot of the courses that are the best, at least in my experience as well, have been the ones that are 
how can you say like, you know, a little more under the radar? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the, I think the first iteration of Terrain's homepage literally said, learn from the best, not the most famous. I love it. Can you, I know you guys are doing a tie-in with Terrain with training for teams. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe talk through a little bit more about that? Yeah. So this is another one of those problems that I had and that we kind of used Terrain to solve. So on the agency side, um, I, you know, I'm building this team and we're constantly onboarding new people and we're also um, launching and creating lots of new products. So in the last couple of years alone, we have, um, you know, built and launched a SaaS um, manufactured, shipped, and run an e-commerce store, and we've all we also serve clients on a you know we, with retainers and one-on-one uh, client work. So, and we've done all of that without necessarily going out and hiring specialized staff. We've essentially just been training the team we have in-house and teaching them how to you know adapt to all of these new things that we're doing. And we needed a system to kind of organize that manage that. And whenever we do onboard new people, we wanted to be able to make sure that they had all of the skill sets that the skills they need to actually go out and, you know, hit the ground running because our first week it's baptism by fire. It really is. So we wanted something to kind of streamline all of that process of learning. And um, that's where terrain for teams really comes in. It lets you create these custom learning paths for different people on your team that teaches them specific skills that they would need to excel in their job. You know, you get access to all of the courses on our site. We, we have um, our goal is to have about 150 by the end of this year. And for people who are in the program, they get access to, um, they get the ability to request courses. So say you need a Facebook ads course because you're launching something two months from now, we'll have that course created and put up and ready for your team to use. And that's it. And that's included in your membership. So it's essentially almost like a one-stop learning solution for your team and you're able to manage it. It's a great benefit because it's professional development and it lets you train new team members, build in-house capacity and you know, really give back to your team as well. I love that. I have so many follow-up questions for what you just shared there. <laughs> so the first thing that you said that was just super interesting is you said like you kind of hire, I don't, I don't necessarily said generalists, but you kind of hire people and then you kind of train them to do the various things based off of what you based off of like what the company needs and their skill sets. Can you maybe walk me through a little bit about A, that thought process behind that and B, how you find people when you're hiring them that do fit that need where they can work for go in within the software business, the agency, and then also your e-commerce store. For sure. So for example, um, the people who are currently working on Terrain, um, our UI designer was started off as a social media specialist. Um, are the junior developer on their team. She started off as a Facebook ads person. Um, it's really just about, and the VA that we hired, she wants to grow into a writing role. So it's really be, always been about hiring good people, like people who have the right attitude, the right work ethic, and the kind of um, right, like that, the fire, the, the desire to learn, because that's so important on our team, and hiring for that culture fit. And then letting them kind of discover what their interests are because so many of us end up in jobs because that's just kind of where we ended up that's what our first job was and then you know you've built some expertise and then you feel like you're stuck in that 
role. It's not necessarily what you're passionate about. But when people come onto my team, they have um, they have the freedom to kind of try all of these new things and then find something they like, and then they kind of take ownership of that, and then they grow in that direction. And then whenever there's like so when this VA, she's ready to be a writer, if she's like, her skills are honed, then she becomes one of my writers and then I'll go out and hire another VA. So it's always, it's giving them that flexibility and room to grow and then just making sure that I'm supporting them so they can do their best work. I love that. Are there questions that you ask during the recruiting and hiring process to help you suss out people who are going to be a good culture fit and are kind of those lifelong students that are you know ambitious and want to learn new things and potentially you know have an impact across wide aspects of the business for sure so like always asking you know what they're reading outside of work what they're reading um related to their job um what kind of podcasts they're listening to anybody who's able to kind of give you specifics um about what they're listening to and why they're passionate about it that's always a really good sign um especially in industries that are really fast moving like edtech and I mean, with our NFT integrations on crypto and all of that, we're doing a lot of things on Web3. It's important that we hire people who are at the very least aware that these conversations are happening and familiar. And then the other part of it is um, we do long probations. We do three month probations. Um, so we're really just gauging for a culture fit um, throughout, like, is this somebody who will google something before they go out and ask someone on the team for help are they someone who likes to kind of dive in and learn about the software and just kind of and they have to have a certain level of tech competency to survive like if you have never if you are going to struggle with using asana or gmail or like really really basic types of tools then you're obviously not going to be a good fit for a team but those are just like some general things that we're getting we're looking for that makes a ton of sense I'm guessing that not every single new hire makes it through the three months probation. Yeah, no. <laughs> we, um, I remember early on, I read, um, there was a slide that came out of Netflix's, Netflix's employee onboarding and that really stuck with me. It was something along the lines of grade A attitude with B, like grade B results means you're gonna earn yourself a generous severance. And um, that's kind of been my policy as well. Like you can be a great person and you're fantastic and all of that. But like, if you are, if you don't have the right work ethic and if you don't have the right, you aren't able to get the results, then, you know, thank you for your time and your effort, but we're probably not the best fit. And that's kind of how we'd part ways. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I feel like that's a as painful as it probably must be to have to let someone go after a probation seems like a really good way to gauge. I, and I guess on both parties as well to like make sure that there is that really proper uh, company culture fit that you can't always get just from a couple of interviews. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that the people who do stick around past those um, couple of months, they've been with me for years. Yeah, that's always a sign of a really strong, uh, compelling leader. So kudos. Um, and it sounds like you guys have put so much, you put so much thought into the type of company culture and the vision that you have across the agency and across terrain. Um, can you maybe walk me, walk me through a little bit more about kind of like your company values and things that you kind of look for and have, you know, to encourage your team members to do the same? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, honestly, when we started off, it wasn't something that was formal or codified. It's something that has really been shaped by the people who've been on my team for a couple of years now. My first hire was in 2018. Um, the next one was in 2019. And then we rapidly added people to the team. So those early members have really shaped our approach to things. It's I mean, obviously, like things like transparency, um, accountability, those kinds of things are obviously key, but also we have, and this is the one really, I don't have a lot of like hard and fast rules about one things, but one that's just absolutely a non-negotiable for me is honesty. So if I would much rather somebody drops the ball and tells me that they dropped the ball than somebody trying to kind of cover it up and all of that. And part of making, creating a safe space for people to do that is getting people comfortable with the idea of failing and like knowing that it's it's okay if they drop the ball like I drop the ball all the time like I've sent some I've sent client emails out to our email list by accident before so just knowing that it's totally okay to fail and that as long as it wasn't as long as it was an accident there aren't going to be any kind of serious consequences I've never fired somebody over an accident or like dropping the ball in that kind of way um the only time there are any kind of serious consequences are when people are deliberately not following the rules or if there are consistent performance issues, never one-off types of things. So kind of getting people okay with that, with that idea that they can try something, have it fail and be okay was really big for us. I love that kind of a fact. It sounds like you have a, like a really big culture, not only of honesty, but also of experimentation and learning. Oh, What's yeah, kind absolutely. of your approach to like, and I'm guessing that involves a lot of like collaboration among everyone on the team. What are some of the ways that you ensure that, you know, everyone on the team is collaborating and learning from each other? Well, that's honestly been one of our bigger challenges just because we're all remote and many of us have never actually met. Um, and we're all in different time zones as well. So it's a reasonable amount of asynchronous work. Um, one of the ways that I think one, like the first thing that we did to kind of tackle that problem was to get people comfortable talking to each other. Like it's like the water cooler channel on Slack is just underrated. That's such an important part of just getting people comfortable because if they don't feel comfortable with each other, then they feel, I feel like people think that they might be judged for sharing their ideas and all of that. So that foundation is creating a safe space and trust between people on your team. Another way we do that is through um, the use of Gather Town. It's essentially almost like a virtual metaverse office that we use. Everybody has their own desk and office space and it gives you an insight into people's personalities. You can collaborate in an actual conference room with a whiteboard. Um, tech is a big part of it. We use Miro for collaboration as much as possible. And um, people are told that if you're coming to a meeting or expected to, I, I need to hear from you. I need to hear your thoughts. Um, whether you know you think it's a bad idea or not, I expect people to contribute during meetings. That makes a ton of sense. And I'm also a fellow uh, Miro, I guess you could say like big fan mm -hmm. of that product. Um, can you, yeah, I know you'd mentioned that like you have a lot of team members across many different time zones. So obviously asynchronous communication has to play a factor. What's your approach to like, how often you guys have meetings as a total team versus when you do things asynchronously? So Monday mornings, we have a team sync for terrain. Um, and that's 
been that way for a while now. Um, every Tuesday, the dev team will meet once, and every two weeks, the whole team will meet for agency stuff, and that's it. Yeah, that seems like a minimal but very thorough approach to doing meetings. Yeah, I mean, Slack is great because a lot of that communication happens over Slack and GatherTown is great because like we're all working different hours and you can see when somebody's at their desk and you can just walk over and have a quick chat, which is really helpful. Um, and that's helped us bring the number of meetings down as well. Makes sense. I talked to some of my, uh, I guess you could say more of my normie friends that <laughs> are working more often in office than it is a remote. And I just hear sometimes we're like, oh, I'm in meetings for seven hours back to back to back. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, I feel like that's definitely my life, not so much the rest of the teams, just because I have client meetings as well. Um, there are definitely days where I will start my day at six in the morning and really just be in meetings till eight or 9 PM that day. Um, those thankfully don't happen as much anymore, but there are definitely a couple of months where I will just pretty much be spending the entire day at my desk in meetings. That brings up an interesting point in question. How do you manage the fact that you have a service business and it with your copywriting agency, as well as building out software? Like what were some of the mindset shifts you had to make and how do you handle like, you know, kind of tasks working between the two? Um, honestly, I don't think I would have been able to do it if I didn't have such a supportive team. My the, the writers on my team are fantastic. They work really, really independently. And my only role on the, on the agency side is one, obviously, um, you know, doing some of the client facing things like getting um, on discovery calls and um, closing the actual sales and the deals. And then it's the quality control part of it. So the number, like the hours I spend in the agency side are very, very few, especially because we are we've shifted to a primarily retainer model where the team handles most of it. And then I really just supervise and do quality control. When we do have the bigger one-off projects, those are great because they bring in a big chunk of revenue for us, but they're also um, projects that I typically do myself. And those are, that's when it gets challenging because I, those take up, they're typically, I mean, I would not be able to do more than one of those a month. And it definitely takes a, like my focus a little bit away from terrain. So those are really challenging, but I try and schedule them on months when we have um, like lower needs on the dev side. I still do a lot of the dev for terrain myself. So that's kind of when, whenever I've kind of handed things off to the team, the, the rest of the dev team, I'm able to do like one-off client projects on the agency side. Um, and that's kind of how I keep it afloat. But um, on an average week, week to week, um, I try and divide it up. So three days terrain, two days agency. Nice. What were some of the ways and that were the most helpful when it came to you delegating and kind of removing yourself from really working in the agency as much? Um, honestly, I was in uh, Mariana Norton's uh, mastermind at the time and she kept pushing me to do it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready. And it was more mindset related stuff for me. Like I didn't think I could just walk away from the team and I didn't really have the opportunity to do so. And then um, 2019, no, 2020 
August, I took a week off for my birthday and I was on a boat, no internet. Um, and that was going to be the real test for the team. I came back, they had everything under control. Um, they didn't, they didn't even miss me. Like everything was working fine. And that for me was like, I'm like, okay, I can, I can trust them to run this for me. And that was, it, that was the biggest kind of mindset shift in terms of systems having everything be on Asana, just having every single thing tracked um, on Asana has been huge. And then having, um, we do a delivery channel on Slack and we do a feedback channel on Slack. So every single thing that needs to go out to a client is posted in the feedback channel. It's first reviewed. If it's by one of the junior writers, it's reviewed by a senior writer. Um, they go back and forth on edits. When that's done, it then comes to me for a final check. And then it's posted in the delivery channel for our VA to handle delivery. So we try and like break everything into almost like an assembly line. And that's been, I mean, that's how our approach to course production is. That's our approach to pretty much everything. Just everybody has a very specific role. You complete that role, you hand off to the next person and make sure they know when it's due. That makes a ton of sense. Going back to what you said before, where you were on a boat taking a vacation for your birthday back in August of 2020, how much time leading up to that vacation did you spend prepping to make sure that everything, you know, was going to be all right and that you could go enjoy that week off? Um, I probably spent the week before that prepping. Um, August does tend to be a little bit of a lighter month for us, so that worked out well. But apart from that, um, I had a quick chat with all of our clients, making sure that they knew who their points of contact were um, for that week, um, checked if they had anything big coming up that they might need. I did try and get the team to tackle any kind of more challenging tasks before I left so that they would have that. And then I gave my number to my CMO, my, my personal phone number to my CMO so she, so she could contact me in case there was any kind of emergencies. Um, because I wouldn't really have Wi-Fi. Um, but really, that was it. It wasn't a ton of prep. It was just making sure everybody knew what was going on. And they had, you know, systems in place um, for like any kind of client emergency, really. That's fantastic. Kind of shifting over back to terrain and the SaaS side of your business. Mm -hmm. What were some of the mindset tips that you had to make early on going from just running an agency to now running an agency and also a software business? Um, honestly, so much of it happened so quickly that I don't think I even had time to dwell on mindset things just because we had announced Terrain. And I, when we announced that we were going to be building Terrain, um, I was under the impression that we would be hiring developers for it because I had put down a deposit for that. And then COVID happened and we lost our deposit and we no longer could afford to hire developers. So we were in this really, really sticky situation where like, I didn't know whether we should backtrack or delay. And I think I kind of didn't think my pride would handle it. I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do at the time, but, um, I was looking into alternatives and then I decided that we were going to build it ourselves. And by this point, this was, um, this was September. And then we had to launch in, we had planned to launch in November. So we had not very much time at all. So we went ahead um, and did it. We did manage to launch in um, December. So it was just, we were going so fast that I don't think I even had 
time to pause and catch my breath. Okay, so I feel like you just said something like super interesting, which is like most people if something like that were to happen, they probably would abandon it or put the project on ice for a while. And it sounds like you didn't do that. Did you have any sort of background with like coding or building out any software products in the past? Nope. Cool. So we'll, we'll just like <laughs> trial by fire. How did you go about, you know, wrapping your head around, okay, now, okay, this plan A didn't work. I'm now going to go build this myself. What were some of the steps that you just took to make that happen? Um, well, I mean, it was definitely discovering bubble.io. That was definitely a big part of it because bubble is incredibly robust, but it's also, I, it uses programming logic, like, but it doesn't require you to actually know like the actual syntax of code to be able to go out and do it. So you're able to piece it together really quickly. So I went out and bought a template and then taught myself how to build an app from that. And I built, I think an app in about 48 hours with Bubble and I'm like, okay, then I, I think I can do this. Um, I was completely mistaken. Like, oh my goodness using a template to build an app versus building one from scratch is just a whole different ballgame. But it it taught me the basics and it gave me enough sort of knowledge to go out and build like a very, I mean, what we launched in 2020 was just a very bare bones version of Terrain, I would say to what Terrain is right now. But oh my goodness, if I had known how much work it was going to involve back when we decided to take this on ourselves, I'm not 100% sure I would have gone through with it. <laughs> That's super interesting. And it sounds like obviously going down the no code route kind of almost, you know, made it like, you know, I made it possible to even get that MVP live. Knowing that, you know, the first version of it was built in bubble and kind of in the no code, or I guess you'd say more low code ecosystem. Knowing what you know now, would you have kept up with that or would you have used, you know, developers from the get-go? Oh no, I think it was um, it was a smart decision, absolutely, because it the beauty of no code and low code is that it lets you move so much faster. One of my um, one of my favorite examples is when we were doing early demos of Terrain. Um, one of the pieces of feedback we received from um, one of the copywriters actually who was on that demo was um, about our note taker. She's like, I love this, but I keep my notes in Notion. And I would love to be able to export things to Notion. We had that built and out the door 45 minutes after the call. That's incredible. No code is magic. It really, really is. And for anyone who kind there is like, there is like a little bit of, people are a little judgy about no code, low code. And to those people, I think they just haven't tried it. Like it is absolutely incredible. Things like Bubble is just so robust. I, we haven't hit any sort of limitations yet. Yeah. And we're doing some really interesting stuff. We're running, we've been experimenting with things like machine learning and like AI sentiment analysis and all of that stuff through Bubble on the back end of Terrain. So like there really are no limitations. We have NFTs integrated in. There's, yeah, it's incredible. People are building full-fledged crypto exchanges on Bubble. Yeah, I love it. I feel like it's really... I, for lack of a better word, democratizing the ability to just create software and apps to a lot more people since you don't necessarily need to know the proper coding language. You can kind of figure out how to do that yourself with these new tools that are available. 
you mentioned like building out things like machine learning and NFTs um, and kind of what other Web3 integrations. How do you decide on what features to build next with Terrain? So we've had a, we have like a big plan almost like where we, there are a couple of things that we want to hit. Our goal for Terrain was never for it to just be like a course platform. It really is about creating that ecosystem where people can learn and really generate a revenue as well. So we had a couple of things that we have kind of have always been on the vision board really for Terrain. Those are things that are in the works currently, but in terms of new features, it's really looking at data, looking, talking to our users. Um, the big features are things that have kind of always been planned, but it's tweaking features and adding little things based on what we're seeing and, and what people are talking about and what they're asking for. Um, that's usually the priority for us. And then, of course, um, we do have that upvote board where people can request and recommend features. And then um, we pick whatever is most popular and aligns with our, you know, our vision and our values and go from there. Absolutely. Um, and do you think having a background as like a expert copywriter has been a particular asset when it comes to marketing and sales and thinking through the product um, I will, for Terrain? I will honestly say that I feel like it's kind of, uh, it's made life a little harder for me um, because it's always harder to write for yourself. And because I'm a copywriter, I can look at something that I've produced and still say that it's it's not good enough. So there's that, there's a lot of like, that I think it brings out a little bit of the imposter syndrome in me where I'm just like, I can do great work for a client, but I can't write for myself. And this is never going to be good enough. And because you can kind of get into your own head when it's your own product, because you're so close to it. Um, I think that if I hadn't been a copywriter, I think I probably would have just hired somebody else to do it. And when it, and now it's hard to kind of justify that because I have a full team of copywriters, but I think we're all just sometimes so close to the product that it makes it harder. Interesting. I could totally see how that would be the case. Do you have any strategies that have worked for you for kind of getting past the imposter syndrome and the fact that you are writing for something that you are so close to? Um, I think the biggest thing has just been giving myself ample amounts of time. Just you know, like I as a copywriter, I pride myself on my speed. Like I'm good at getting things out the door quickly. Um, but I've had to learn that that's not the case when it's my own work. Like I can't do a sales sequence in a single day. If it's for terrain, I will need to give myself two weeks so I can procrastinate and think about it and consume all sorts of different types of content and wait for inspiration to strike. It is very much almost like an emotional process when you're writing for yourself, um, versus like a more strategic process for other people, because you really are looking for some kind of spark of inspiration there so that you aren't just rehashing things over and over again. For Terrain, like our big, you'll, I mean, if you've been onto Terrain recently, you'll see that we use um, the brick, like a Lego brick as a big, as a metaphor for our courses. And the idea there was that um, if you've got six Lego bricks, they can combine into, it's like 9 million different combinations. and courses are kind of the same. You can stack all of those different courses and unlock all of these different skills and the way you can apply them in your business and the potential is infinite. And that was kind of, 
I think it took me about a month and a half to like stew over ideas before we landed on that. And it was when I saw an ad for Lego on TV. So yeah, it's not a very strategic process. It's really just giving myself time, doing things outside of business related things and waiting for inspiration to strike. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer for that. No, that's, a, uh, that's actually a really, really great answer. Um, where are some of the places that you find inspiration? Oh, Reddit is a big one. I love, um, and not the business side of Reddit. I like reading about people having, you know, the real problems people are having, like ask the ask Reddit section where people are talking about that. Um, fiction, I like to try and consume as much fiction as possible um, just because it's just so far outside of everything that I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, as many, many things outside of business as possible. And um, my background is in political science. So obviously, um, you know, keeping up to date with the news, reading one of my favorite emails that I've ever sent was based on, um, you know, the state of nature and Hobbes and writing about the Leviathan and just being able to pull from all of these different sources. Okay, I feel like that's like the perfect bridge to a couple of lightning round questions. Let's do it. I always like to ask, what's the one book that you recommend that any founder or CEO should read? Oh man, okay. Um, I would say Hacking Growth. I think that was a big one for me. It's we, uh, there's just, there's a great framework in there for experimentation that really just kind of set the foundation for a lot of what we did in the early days of train. Um, this was the, this was by Sean Ellis, if I remember correctly. Awesome. And if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I think it would be about de-risking innovation in your business. Because I think that's something I am really passionate about. And I think we've gone about scaling our business in a really smart way. I think there's an interesting conversation to be had there. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I essentially built the agency first, got it to a point where it was totally stable, and then took a medium risk, medium payoff sort of growth step, if you want to call it, with the conversion kits, which became, you know, our first manufactured product. And we pre-sold those. And we did that with absolutely no experience. Like if that had failed, we would have been out $2,000, but that's brought in closer to maybe 55 to 60 over the last year and a half. Um, within an initial investment of 2k and then took the money from that and then started putting that into terrain over the next year and that was our high risk high reward situation and it's just we've done all of this without compromising or losing the stability that came with our agency and you know being able to pay the team six month salaries always in the bank for everybody um, so those kinds of things, I think, and just kind of building that culture of innovation and experimentation on your in your business and being open to that, because I think so many people do the same thing in their business as everybody else. It's just, I mean, in, on the service side, once you get past working with one-on-one -on -one clients, almost everybody's going to create a course or a membership. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I think they're just interesting conversations to be had about the different paths you can take if you open yourself up to experimentation. Yeah, absolutely. It's been amazing chatting with you today, Emma. 
where can listeners find you online? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am most active on Twitter. Um, it's Iman underscore Zabi. And yeah, I mean, come hang out with us in the terrain community as well. It's free. It looks like Hogwarts and we have a meditation room coming and I know all of us need that this year. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the Remote Workshop Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was brilliant. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.